course, this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talking all things sports in Salford and beyond. Yeah, well, certainly am, Rob. There's some cracking stuff coming up this week in the world of sports. But indeed, there was some cracking stuff over the last weekend, so I can't wait to break it all down with you over the next hour. Yeah, lots to go on on the show this week. We're going to start with the, the Rugby League, James. Yeah, we most certainly are, and there was no game for Salford Red Devils this week, but Swinton Lions were in action. Tell us a bit about how they got on. Yeah, Swinton Lions were away at Doncaster and won 66 points to 22. James, fantastic performance uh, by the Lions. Three from three at the moment in the league. Uh, all the uh, Lions fans will be doing the dance in a jig of delight at uh, Haywood Road at the moment with a farm. They're showing fantastic rugby league. Um, great, you know, tries shown and, uh, you know, they've got to be really happy down there. Yeah, they're playing some proper good rugby at the moment. Do you think they'll be able to carry on that form through the rest of the season? Yes, they are tipped to 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 win the, the the league, James. And I know Alan Coleman. You know he's he's a good coach, and and the Lions fans they've been through a lot over the last uh, few years. And uh, you know to get back into the championship will be their main uh, objective. And I'm, I'm sure they'll be confident if they've scored over 200 points so far in, in the last uh, three games, which is really good. Shows that they're you know full of attacking intent and creation, and that's what you want in the, these kind of. Uh, games and these kind of divisions where, where teams will try and uh, sort of block you out and make it more difficult for you. But uh, the Swinton Lions have, have the ammunition uh, to break teams down and uh, we're looking forward to a successful season down at Haywood Road. We most certainly are. You say they're, they're expected and tipped to win. Do you think they'll win? I think they will, James. I think they showed plenty of intent in the last three games. Top teams do not take the foot off the gas. And that is what Swinton Lions are doing at the moment. They have, you know, destroyed three teams so far in, in the in the league. And I'm sure that they'll be looking at doing that to more teams. What they've got to do is is continue to play at this uh, this pace and in this intensity. Because, like I said, teams will want to knock them off. They know they're the big dogs or the big lions in this case in, in the division. Uh, so it will get tough for them. But I'm sure... Alan Coleman and the boys in blue uh, will be celebrating uh, come the end of the season. So it's clear that Swinton are having an exceptional season so far, Rob, and that's down to the fantastic attitude of the players. Are there any in particular that have stood out from the pack? Yeah, James. I'm thinking uh, Jack Hansen. Fantastic uh, sort of scrum half for Swinton, dictating operations uh, for, for them. Um Dan Abraham, he's a fullback, kicks goals as well, and uh, he is sort of integral to, to what sort of Swint Lions do. And I think if you keep them fit, you've got your centers as well. You've got Max uh, Roberts and Jaden Hatton, both, you know, very good players technically, know where the line is, got strike power. And, and that's the important thing. They've got to keep these players fit, James. If they manage to keep the players fit in this division, then, you know, they'll, they'll go and win it. You're just hoping that Alan Coleman's managed to be able to sort of continue to, to play the same brand of rugby. And, and you're hoping that the people of Swinton who are listening to this back, back at home uh, will want to come to Haywood Road and watch them play because, you know, that they are playing a superb brand of rugby league. And, you know, the Lions fans who, 
who have followed them all over the all over the local area, going to Bury and all that, will want to take the trip up to to Haywood Haywood Road in in Sale and uh, and follow them there too. You mentioned it's integral that they keep these players fit, but have they got the depth in talent in the to remain at a high standard if some of these players get injured? Yeah, they've got players, James. I think, obviously, being kind of part-time, that's part of the problem. Obviously, it's a long season, isn't it? Um, but you're hoping, obviously, the Lions will be able to sort of sort of master the way through that and negotiate the tougher tests ahead. Uh, but, yeah, they've got a good squad. It, you know, it's not, not massive. It's not paper-thin either. Um, but, like I say, in any contact sport, you know, it's how you roll with the injuries. And uh, I'm sure, you know, Alan Coleman and, and Cole will be monitoring that throughout. They most certainly will, Rob. And we've got some Challenge Cup rugby this weekend. Talk us through it. Yeah, it was a Challenge Cup quarterfinal weekend in the Rugby League. Uh, St. Helens, they were away at Catalan uh, and and beat them. It was a great performance by St. Helens. They are the team to beat in uh, 2022. Uh, Huddersfield were at home to Hull. Uh, Cup Kings Hull, not this year though. Huddersfield, uh, coached by ex-Salford coach Ian Watson, uh, managed to negotiate that tricky tie. Wigan were away at Wakefield and obviously Salford lost to Wakefield field last week but Wigan beat them in the Challenge Cup this week convincingly and then finally uh, Hull Kingston Rovers uh, they are through as well to the Challenge Cup semi-final uh, they are the underdogs in this whole uh, contest uh, but you're hoping Tony Smith obviously he is a, an experienced coach he's got some good players down there uh, at Hull Kingston Rovers so you know if it's uh, if it's uh, their moment in the sun and uh, may manage to walk out at Tottenham's uh, ground uh, in the next few months in the final them Hull Kingston Rovers fans will be buzzing and you know if you look at all the teams that are left James you know it's difficult to pick a winner Saints are a good side. Wigan are Wigan. Uh, Huddersfield and Hulkies are both good sides, but not sort of favourites in this uh, in this list of teams. But it's going to be fascinating to see who comes out on top. Yeah, I can't wait to find out, Rob. But our beloved Salford Red Devils are back in action over the Easter period. So while everybody's unwrapping their wonderful Easter eggs that the Easter Bunny has delivered, you'll be tuning into the rugby. I will, James. They, Salford are away at Warrington on the Thursday night. Tr- tricky contest. Warrington are a good side. Uh, Paul Rowley's men, after defeat against Wakefield, we were looking to, to get back to winning ways, obviously, in the Super League. Tough challenges every week. Warrington aren't the team, in my opinion, they were three, five years ago. Um, are they on the slide? That's the big question. Can Salford go to Warrington and get a result? I do feel that we have enough players in this team and in this squad to, to really, really upset the, uh, the the Warrington Wolves on Thursday night. It's going to be a tough contest. There's no way it's going to be a walkover. Warrington Wolves are still a top side in Super League, but I feel Paul Rowley and his men will be ready for the contest and, and come away with a victory. Then they play Catalan Dragons on Monday at the AJ Bell. Catalan Dragons are a great side. Runners up in the Super League last season. Uh, they play Toulouse Olympic in the first French derby on Thursday night. So it kind of depends how much juice gets taken out of their tank in that game. And they're travelling over from France. And, and that's the kind of thing you have to factor in to the Easter weekend. Obviously, playing two games in quick succession, James, it can take the toll on the players. As well as Salford, obviously, Salford only just turned around against Warrington. So both sets of players will be tired. But that, in my opinion, is the big thing. It's how you react 
to being tired. If, if you're tired and able to find another game and win the next game and then the win the game after and get a roll on, you know, it's going to be exciting. We're just hoping that uh, Paul Rowley's men can find a way uh, of winning the next couple of games uh, and get us that momentum we need. So obviously Salford and Catalan Dragons both coming into the into this game off the back of a difficult situation, playing twice in quick succession. Which of the two teams has the minerals to see this through? Well, Catalan Dragons are a very good team, a big set of forwards, and it will be difficult. You know, we're not we're not going to say you know we don't get to a grand final um, and be an average side. They are a top top team, and uh, Salford being at home and being cheered on by the the Salford faithful is going to be a big uh, moment. I think obviously a big uh, excitable crowd might be the difference on on Bank Holiday Monday, and that's the kind of thing that that will want to happen. Paul Raleigh will be asking the, the fans and the players to find that extra bit uh, to, to get the two points again against Catalan Dragons. We're all excited about it. It's going to be great and we'll be talking all about it on the Sports Zone next week. Yeah, I can't wait to break it down with you, Rob. But in addition to Salford, Swinton are back in action and you expect them to carry on the momentum into this game. Yeah, Crusaders at home, Haywood Road on Easter Sunday, uh, James. I'm hoping that you know, um, Alan Coleman's men can make it four from four. Like we said, we talked about it previously, that they are a great team. They score good tries, plenty of points in this Swinton Lions team. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to continue it against Crusaders uh, on Easter Sunday. Most certainly, Rob. I can't wait to watch and recap all the action in the world of rugby next week. But now we're going to move on. Two ice hockey and Manchester Storm are coming towards the end of the season. We've got two games. Yeah, James. Two games this week for Manchester Storm. Ryan Finney is men closing out the season, unable to, to get into the playoffs. Disappointment, really, because at one point they looked like Manchester Storm could make the playoffs. Um, I think at this stage of the season, James, it's all about just keeping going, trying you know tie up some loose edges, win a few games, let the, uh, the Storm... Uh, fans, you know, get excited about next season. Unfortunately, this uh, this last couple of games, they lost 7-4 away at Glasgow on Saturday. Glasgow are a good side. Uh, Manchester Storm pushed them all the way. It was a close game. Our friend Van Wormer, Scott Simmons, goal scorers up there in Glasgow. But unfortunately, Glasgow left it late. United... Uh, Manchester Storm had to take the goalie out so they had an extra man. Uh, but unfortunately, Glasgow found our net before we could find theirs and they were victorious seven points to four. Then on the Sunday at home, they faced Cardiff. Cardiff had a very good side and Storm lost 4-1. Disappointment. Obviously, your own games are important. If you want to be a top team, James, you've got to win your own games, haven't you? So, Ryan Finney is meant We'll be looking back at that and thinking, well, you know, there's, there's areas we can improve on moving forward into the uh, 2023 season. Well, certainly, Rob. And the playoffs are well and truly warming up. Yeah, James. It, it's, there's, there's some great sides um, in the playoffs. You've got Belfast, you've got Sheffield, you've got Cardiff, you've got Nottingham and you've got Guildford. Four, five into four doesn't go, James. It's going to be super, you know, tight at the top. That is what ice hockey is all about James we, we want to see um, you know action we want to see uh, you know goals we want to see uh, the rough and tumble on the ice and, and I'm sure 
these five teams, when it comes to sort of playoff uh, time after these ne sort of last two fixtures of the season, whoever gets through into the uh, the playoffs will uh, will serve a fantastic contest. You've got like basically two semi-finals, and then the day after you play a third v fourth, and then the, like a grand final on the same day. So fantastic uh, spectacle for all supporters uh, from you know the teams who managed to get into the final day. So you know, unfortunately, it's not going to be Manchester on this this season, uh, but I'm sure Ryan Finney will be looking at next season and seeing who we can bring in to make the storm better and hopefully be contending for these uh, and these big days at the end of the season. Yeah, Belfast are the champions and that's great for them. Yeah, Belfast are a very good side. Lewis Hook, uh, prolific scorer for them. Scott Canway, uh, Mark Cooper. You know, they've got goals in them, James. And they've got Jackson Whistle, who's the, the goaltender. You know, he is the wall that, that keeps the puck out for Belfast. And Manchester Storm, Obviously, we'll be looking at, at Belfast of maybe, maybe a template of where they're going wrong. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Belfast. They've shown throughout the season that they've got, you know, quality all over. They score goals, they're able to shut games out. Uh, and we're, we're watching on uh, in, in Envy and hopefully Manchester will fix a few things up on the off-season and uh, start competing in 2023. Oh, certainly. Can you talk us a little bit about what they've got in store this week? Yeah, Manchester Storm, two games. Uh, one, well, they play Guildford. They play them home and away. And Guildford are chasing that final playoff spot. If Manchester Storm manage to take any points off them in the uh, in the next uh, two games, then their uh, dreams of playoff success are over. So will Manchester Storm be the final party pill part? be the far, the final party poopers for Guildford. That'll be the big question. And I think the games like this, James, are a good measurement of your mentality. If you can turn it on still, even though if your season is over uh, and put in a good performance against Guildford and maybe snatch their, uh, you know, take their playoff spot away from them, it shows that next season when you're in prime position to, to gain a playoff spot or, or win a cup, a match or, or win a you know, playoff spot, then obviously you can do it. So we'll have to wait and see. Guildford at home will be tricky. Guildford away will be even more tricky. We're hoping Ryan Finney's men can finish on a high. Most certainly. It's going to be interesting to see how the season comes to a close. And I think they can ride the momentum off the form they've had over the last few weeks. Admittedly, not the greatest results last weekend, but we're sure that they can bounce back going into next season. Now, Rob, it's time for the boxing and you've got a few questions for me. Yes, boxing time, James. We're going to be talking boxing, and here we go. Here we go. An all-time great returns the winning ways in Japan on Saturday, but he didn't have it all his own way, did he? Gennady Golovkin, Triple G, back to winning ways. He started slowly against Ryota Murata, and there were points in there where it looked like the home fighter, the Japanese man, could perhaps take advantage of the slightly aging Golovkin. He was landing well to the body. He was landing good upstairs. He was pushing him back. Something we've never seen happen to Golovkin before. But in around the fifth round, Triple G lands a monstrous right hand. It sends the gum shield spinning out of Riata's mouth. And then Golovkin takes over. He lands some great shots to the head and body. He begins to put a beating on Murata. The Japanese champion bravely fought back, but it was in vain as the Kazakhstan he took over. And eventually in the ninth round, he landed a beautiful right hand. Sent Maratta crashing towards the canvas, and the referee, uh, and sorry, in the corner, threw in the towel. Was it his poor start down to ring inactivity, or just getting old, James? 
it's difficult to say. Golovkin's been out of the ring for, what, about two years? It's a long period of time, and it's expected that your footwork would be a little bit slower based on that ring rust. However, he's 40 years old now, Golovkin. That's quite old for a middleweight. It's quite old in boxing in general. He is going to slow down eventually, and I think there's been signs in his last few fights that he's not quite the elite force he was. Hmm. But to put that into perspective, it shows just how impressive the man is, that he is getting older, he is rusty, and he's still finding ways to pick up these big performances. So you can only show respect to him for that. Obviously, where, where do you place Golovkin in, in the, the sort of the table of great boxers? Within the middleweight division, Rob, he, he's right at the top. Hmm. You've got to remember, he spent years and years and years being avoided. Nobody wanted to fight him. And then he had a bit of success getting in the ring with the likes of your Lemus, your Kell Brooks, the Daniel Jacobs. I don't think he won that fight. I think he was very lucky to get the decision that night. But those two super fights with Canelo, he won them both comprehensively. The first one was easy. Uh, and then he was, and it was somehow scored a draw. The second one, he lost. But once again, he won that fight. He beat Canelo by a landslide. So when you look, people call Canelo an all-time great, a pound-for-pound pound legend, etc. Golovkin should be in the exact same equation if that's the case, because he beat Canelo twice with, with relative ease. Is the Canelo fight one you'd like to see? Off the back of what you, I've just said, you'd expect me to say yes, wouldn't you? Mm. Based on the fact that I think Golovkin schooled him twice, it's one that he needs to get back, and they're two of the pound-for-pound pound greats in the sport. But for the same reason as I explained earlier, the fact Golovkin is getting older, the fact that he is slowing down, the fact that his timing just doesn't seem there anymore, I wouldn't like to see it. As far as I'm concerned, Golovkin has beat Canelo Alvarez twice. Canelo avoided him for years, finally got in the ring with him when he was a little bit older, and now it's three years on top of that. I don't want to see Golovkin go out via a shocking KO against a man who he's beaten before, as far as I'm concerned. So, being honest, I'd rather Golovkin call it a day off the back of this big win against Morata. This is kind of happening a lot in boxing, is it? Kelbrook and is it Khan? I think they had a similar thing where, uh, you know, two sort of, let's say, old, um, you know, superstars finally getting it together. Um, is this what's kind of happening again? I suppose so, in a way. I mean, Kelbrook and Amir Khan, it took years to put that fight together, didn't it? But they finally got it over the line. And despite the fact that both men were, were clearly past the best, it sold out Manchester Arena and sold massive amounts of pay-per-view. That grudge still sold. Hmm. that grudge, like it or love it, would sell again for Golovkin-Canelo. Canelo probably closer to his prime than Golovkin is. Golovkin definitely on the back end of his career. But despite the fact they've fought twice, they've got those household names similar to Khan and Brock. And on a worldwide scale, probably even bigger than Khan and Brock. So there's no doubt it'd sell. Because that's what it is. It The grudge sells it, don't it? Because that's what people want to see. They want to see two fighters going after each other, you know, who don't particularly like like each other. And, and it gives you that extra edge on it when you're trying to sell tickets and pay-per-views. It most certainly does. I mean, the grudge for the Khan Brook fight got us all going, didn't it? Mm. There wasn't so much a grudge for the Canelo-Golovkin fights, the first two. I mean, I remember actually on the night that Canelo Alvarez knocked out Amir Khan, Golovkin got in the ring, they sold that fight that it was going to be next, and then Canelo took two more fights against... Liam Smith and Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., two relatively easy fights in comparison. As far as I'm concerned, I don't put the blame on him. I put the blame on Oscar De La Hoya, who consistently banged on about marinating that fight, that he avoided 
Golovkin in his prime. He avoided making that fight. He tried to wait till Golovkin was older. And Golovkin still won twice. And they needed some some incompetent, if not another word, judges to give Canelo the victory that night. So now it's got a little bit more personal. The second fight had that grudge because Golovkin felt extremely aggrieved not to have got the decision. Off the back of the second fight, he felt even more not to have got, uh, grieved not to have got the decision because he didn't draw that one on paper. He lost it. Mm. So, yes, this one's personal, but I feel like that's just more of a selling point for Canelo. If he really had this personal grudge with Golovkin, he'd have fought him three years ago right off the back of the second fight. He wouldn't have waited all these years later for Golovkin to look completely shot to force through the trilogy fight. Makes you wonder why they wait. Do you think it's just to save their own uh, profile that they've built up that if they do get beat against a rival, it could end their career. But I think lots of times boxing, they have like um, rematch um, kind of things sort of put into the contract. So it's not like you you, you get beat and then you're done. You, you kind of have a chance to have another bash at him next time. Yeah, quite regularly rematch clauses are put into the contract to try and make things right. But as you say... The, the, the reason they wait for so long, a lot of the time, is because the promoters, more so than the fighters, want to build these fights up to be something massive. They want to delay the inevitable for as long as possible to try and make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. However, in the case of Golovkin and Canelo, that was marinated, in my opinion, just to let Golovkin get that little bit older, let Canelo get that little bit more experience. That's all that was down to, as far as I'm concerned. However, we talk about waiting for fights, and sometimes that works, and other times it doesn't. Look at Fury Joshua. Or, you know, we have these massive fights that we want to make, and then we marinate them, and then one of the fights gets beat. And even if we make Fury Joshua now, it's never going to have the same sparkle as it would have done a few fights ago. So it's a classic example. Don't marinate the fights. Yeah. Get them together before it's too late. Yeah. I always think with Fury and, and Joshua, is Joshua um, has kind of started losing, hasn't he, at certain points. And, that, and when you start getting beat, because you're in that kind of cycle of, of you know, rematches. And, and then if you don't sort of get the rematch, the champion then gets ahead of you in the pecking order. So then you're waiting for, for him to get knocked out. And then you have to continue to start with, you know, continue to win to get back in pole position. But obviously when you start getting beat, you get pushed further down the line, don't you? And the champion who's Tyson Fury in this situation probably looks at the, looks at uh, Anthony Joshua and thinks, well, why, why do I have to? you know, bother fighting you because you now you're not deemed at the highest level of boxing. You've lost a couple. You're in the second tier of boxing now. So why would I give you a chance? Well, you're completely right, Rob. It makes Anthony Joshua look like easy pickings, doesn't it? Mm. To somebody of Tyson Fury's quality, he's just come through three fights with Deontay Wilder. But what I will say is this. Do you remember the hype behind Joshua in the early days? To put mm. it into context, Fury schooled Vladimir Klitschko a 10-year-long reigning Ukrainian god who'd beaten absolutely everybody. Fury beats him comprehensively. And then you've got Joshua coming off a British title win. And because of the hype that Sky Sports generated around him, because of the buzz that Eddie Hearn created, people were picking Joshua, a British title-level fighter at the time, to beat Fury. That That's what happens. And now, I don't want to say he's been exposed because he did get to world level, but he's been proved not to quite be at that elite pound-for-pound level of the sport. We've lost all momentum in that fight. And and yes, it'd be big. You could probably still stick it in Wembley, but but it isn't that super fight. And there's no way of getting that buzz back now. Yeah. I think with Joshua, he's a bit kind of like a, kind of a, the trained standard boxer. When I think, when I look at Tyson Fury, 
he can do both. He can slug, but he can also sort of box as well. And I, and I feel when I do watch Ty, uh, Andy Joshua, when he when push comes to shove and he needs to dig, he, he can't. And I think that's the difference when you're a world-class um, champion. When the chips are down and you're struggling in the later rounds, you're able to find something and maybe Joshua just can't. Yeah, I mean, as you say there, with, with Fury finding that extra gear, he's done it on so many occasions, hasn't he? I mean, mm. in those two Deontay Wilder fights, he, he went down four times against Wilder. Yeah. And in that first time, he was pretty much knocked out and somehow managed to rise from the ashes and get back to its feet. Joshua, I don't think, has quite the same dig to win. Uh, against Andy Ruiz, I mean, some people called him a quitter. I, I felt that was harsh due to the fact that I'm not entirely sure he knew where he was because he was that concussed. Mm. But he, he doesn't quite have that, that, that same grip. With Fury, you know, if there's any drop of his blood that can possibly allow him to rise back to the, his feet, he will. And you don't quite have that with Joshua. There's not this inner feeling of, he's going to do it, he's going to get back up. That's not quite there for him. So it, it is difficult in, in, in terms of that way. But in terms of what you said before, in terms of being a bit manufactured... Anthony Joshua is a supreme athlete, whereas Tyson Fury is a boxer. If you yeah. put Fury on a football field, or you put a ping-pong racket in his hand, or you shook him in a ballerina's outfit, he probably wouldn't excel, would he? No. His talent is specific to the sport of boxing. Mm. Whereas Anthony Joshua, because of his extreme athleticism, he'd probably be good at anything, and that is ballerinaing included, if, that, if that's a word, ballerinaing. But I think you get the point I've tried to make. Yeah. So, so what you're basically saying to me is, Tyson Fury is a better boxer, but Andy Andy Joshua is a is a better athlete. But in boxing, what's more important? I think Anthony Joshua is a better, well-rounded athlete in terms of being gifted at anything. Hmm. But Fury has a specific set of talents that, when applied to boxing, are just almost unbeatable. So when people say he's not an athlete, usually because of his body, which is just ridiculous and quite naive of of a lot of people who don't quite understand sport, find me another man at six foot nine who can move his feet like Tyson Fury and move his head like Tyson Fury and has the hand speed of Tyson Fury. For people to say he's not an athlete when he can do these things, it's pretty ridiculous. I suppose he's tuned in. His best attributes help him be the best boxer if that makes sense like you said he's not going to be the best ballerina in the world because he's, he's he's there to be a boxer isn't he that's completely right Rob I mean does rapid head movement particularly help you if, if you're wearing a, a ballerina's outfit I mean, we're going down this rabbit hole of ballerina dancing <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah as we said Tyson Fury a skill set dedicated to boxing and with that I mean there, there aren't many human beings alive that can do what he can do yeah, one last bit on the old ballerina uh, thing. I think when they spin, they've got to keep their head in a certain position up so they don't get dizzy. So if he does have head, good head movement, he might be able to keep his head in the certain angle when spinning. But we'll have to wait and see. Boxing, you know, a boxer can only box for so long, James, and he might turn to ballerina in, in his later life to keep him supple. Because obviously, you know, when you get old, uh, you need to do these kind of things like yoga, uh, to, to make sure the joints continue to, to move. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, I mean that erratic head movement could actually be an issue if he's moving it too much. Mm. Whereas Anthony Joshua's always been that robust, robotic-like fighter who could perhaps keep his head uh, on the centre line. But as you say there, I mean, sports science is an interesting angle of this. You talk about fighters doing yoga and all this sort of stuff. 
I don't think Fury's interested in any of that. He's got that Spartan, old-school Muhammad Ali, Rocky-like mentality of, you know, punching meat carcasses in a warehouse. Mm. Whereas Anthony Joshua buys into that site, buys into those hyperbolic chambers, buys into those hydrotherapy pools. How much does that really matter in sport? Is it more of a psychological tool than it is a physical one? I think it comes down to heart, James. And I don't think you can measure heart scientifically. If if you've got heart in anything you do, in any sport you're involved in, you know, it's in you and, and you people can see that. And I don't I don't think you can get a bar chart or a or a pie chart and say, Yeah, he's got forty five percent heart. It's not measurable and that's the difference between a, a good boxer and a, and a and a great boxer because because the great boxers have heart. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, we have these great fighters out there who look spectacular mm. and then get a hit on the whiskers and then it's all over for them, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm not necessarily just talking in terms of a ching because sometimes if your whiskers are just up to no good, then they're just up to no good and there's not a lot you can do about that. But there are certain bully fighters, the likes of, you know, your Sergei Kovalevs, your Mike Tysons, people like that who go around crushing absolutely everybody. And when they have a bit that back in their direction, they don't know quite how to handle it. Mm. Yeah, you have that in lots of sports, James. I mean, I was talking to the Sulphur Devils ladies coach and they're on a, I think it's three games unbeaten, beat the last team 80-0. And, and he was like, it's really kind of a, a job now to keep them grounded. Uh, and it will be interesting to see what happens when they sort of meet a team at their level to see how they they react and I think with boxing it's the same thing you, you come across boxers because I think it's a lot a lot of it is politicized as well where you know your promoter will pick fighters that that make uh, you look better so if if you do come a come across a fighter who is underestimated let's say and does stick one on your nose and it's how you react to that uh is, is a big question in your head as well as everyone else's head watching. Well, yeah, absolutely. We often have these questions of fighters of how are they going to do when it doesn't go their own way? Can they come back into fights? Have they got it all? And we've seen the matchmaking a lot of the time where fighters are matched against very limited opposition and then they take big jumps and you've got to wonder why. Mm. Is the promoter building them up to a certain point without testing them because they know they haven't got the minerals. So they want to bank on this big fight to throw them in, knowing they probably won't win off the chance of making that. And that's why they steer them down this route. Because you see, with the fighters who tend to go on to elite level, they're facing tough tests on the way up because the promoters know that they're going to rise to the occasion. Mm. It's a fascinating contest and fascinating journey uh, that, that these boxers going on. Talk about journeys. Uh, the Fury White undercard has been revealed. Uh, isn't much to write home about, though, James. It's not great. It's not what you'd want for a fight of this magnitude. I mean, I suppose Frank Warren has been about £40 million on uh, winning the rights to this fight, so there isn't a lot he can do about it. But, I mean, we've got Anthony Kakachi on the bill in a decent fight. Uh, Isaac Lowe in a good fight. Hello. Uh, ten wins and one loss. So a big step up for Tommy Fury. Uh, what I will say about that is that um, only two knockouts on the Paul's record. So perhaps not the greatest of opponents, but still a massive step up. For In other significant news, James, there'll be no British judges at the fight. No, the most certainly won't. And that's off the back of probably Tyson Fury's long disdain for the British Boxing Board of Control and the recent controversy surrounding the Josh Taylor-Jack Cattrall fight. Yet another one of these big events where the house fighter has got 
just an impossible decision. So uh, you can't blame Tyson Fury for not wanting them judging his fight. What I will say, though, is that judging is a bit of a worldwide problem, not specifically a problem related to Britain. There's bad judging everywhere. It's an issue that keeps repeating all over the world. So Fury's not necessarily going to be saved by there being foreign judges, but you suspect as a house fighter himself in this one, he should be okay. Uh, Conor Benny's getting back in the ring on Saturday. Is he in a, a good fight? Uh, I don't want to be too disrespectful to Chris Van Herden because in his day, a decent fighter. But once again, in his 40s, Conor Ben's on the rise, talking about world titles, and uh, he's taking on an opponent who, who's, who isn't anything to write home about. It's disappointing considering the names he was rumoured to be getting in the ring with. Who should he be fighting? I mean, all the names we heard, the Adrian Broners, uh, the Maurice Hookers, good fights, they'd have been better for him. But the one that everybody wants to see is Devin Avanesian. And it seems like him and his team are, uh, are making every possible excuse in the book to avoid this fight. It's frustrating. It's probably one of the biggest in British boxing. I mean, I know Devin Avanesian technically Russian, but he's an adopted Brit at this point. He's headlined on Sky Sports. He's got a profile. And Ben's making all the excuses in the book. That's the fight we want to see for the European title. Ben Avenician and the winner can go on to fight for a world title. There's a massive fight in America uh, as well, James. Errol Spence Jr. versus Jordinas Ugas. Uh, a great fight. One I think we're all looking forward to. Um, three belts on the line for this one. The IBF and the WBC for Spence. The WBA for Ugas. And it's an intriguing contest going in. Of course, Spence, off the back of a bit of a layoff, he recently found out that he'd torn his retina. And he hasn't fought since then. A horrible injury can ultimately result in you going blind if not treated correctly. So we'll have to wait and see how good he'll be going into this one. Ugas, the Cuban, coming off the best win of his career against Manny Pacquiao in a fight where he used his precision laser-like jab to tee off against the Filipino legend. So he's looking exceptional. Granted, a couple of losses in the early patches of his career and a loss against Sean Porter. However, again, we talk about judges. Anybody with a pair of eyes thought he beat Sean Porter that night and perhaps more comprehensively than Errol Spence beat Sean Porter. So he's got a, he's a box of tricks, you gas. You suspect deep down that Spence will probably come through this one, but it won't be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Could the winner of the fight uh, fight for all four belts in the next fight? That's what we want. We want the winner of Spence Ugas to take on Terence Crawford to find an undisputed champion in the welterweight division. Crawford has been avoided for long patches of his career. He's not done himself any favours by his inability or more so his disdain towards the media. He's refused to do interviews. He's refused to build his star. But either way, you've got three fighters there that I'm concerned any one of them could come out as the best in the division. I know Spence and Crawford have the big profile, and that's the fight that everyone's gearing towards, the big super fight. But you guys can throw a spanner in the works. I won't write him off, but any combination of those three for the undisputed titles is what we want. Whoever wins, Spence, you guess it should be Crawford next. Uh, Ryan Garcia bounced back with a decent win at the weekend. Is he a threat to the big boys? He's got the talent to be a threat to the big boys. I'm not sure he's got the discipline. Uh, he left Canelo's coach not so long ago because he seemingly wasn't putting in too much effort. He didn't look like he'd improved that much off the back of his last fight. Of course, he got dropped in that one. He took an opponent who wasn't up to much. Ryan Garcia is at a stage now where let's just see how good he is. Let's get him in with a Javonta Davis. Let's get him in with somebody of that sort of calibre because if we don't, we're going to be left guessing because at the moment, even though he beat Luke Campbell in his last fight, and yes, that was a great win, he's still viewed as a bit of an Instagram fighter. 
who likes to pose on social media than a real get down and dirty fighter. Uh, Floyd Mayweather is having another fight. Is it not time for him to give up yet? Yeah, uh, Floyd Mayweather, well into his 40s now, 45, I think. Uh, he talks about these smart business investments that he makes, that he's this terrific entrepreneur. If he was so terrific and brilliant, he wouldn't be fighting this late into his 40s. Granted, there are only exhibition fights, but he doesn't need, he shouldn't need them. But I think he does because of the lifestyle he wants to lead. Mm. He wants to buy all the flashy cars. He wants to buy the yachts. He wants to buy the Rolexes, etc., etc., etc. And it's paying the cost because he's fighting well into his 40s. Does that um, sort of curtail his image and his reputation? Because obviously he was uh, sort of known as a bit of a devastating fighter. Never lost. Um, but obviously now he's, he's just basically looks like just travelling the world playing exhibition matches. Does that not make him less of a boxer, you think? I mean, he's having fun. So kudos to him from that perspective. But he's not doing great things for his legacy. In his last fight, he went the distance with a YouTuber. Mm. I mean, he, he is getting older. In his prime, I don't care how much bigger Logan Paul was than him. I think he's about a £200 man, Logan Paul. And Floyd uh, May was only about 5'7", 145 pounds. So, so very different weight disparities. But you're meant to be the greatest of all time, so you should have got rid of him. And make no mistake about it, people can say all they want, but I don't think he did carry him in that fight. I think he couldn't hurt him. I think he couldn't hurt the bigger man. So he's slowing down. And eventually, when he's 47, 48, 49, 50, if he's still doing these, he'll take a risk and one of these young kids will beat him. Because he won't be better. But when he's all about speed and sort of diving between uh, sort of the, 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 the punches that are coming. But like you said, if you're getting older, James, you know, your legs don't move as quick and you might get pinged. I mean, Logan Paul, yes, not a particularly good boxer. But I think in round three or four, he pinged him with a beautiful right hand. And it didn't wobble Floyd Mayweather, but you tell you could tell it hit him. Hmm. So how long before one of these punches that he's not expected, because he's obviously underestimated these promotions, who who should be significantly beneath him, how, how long till one of them hurts him? And then you see Floyd Mayweather's legs go. And then everybody's laughing at him, because people are almost forgetting how good a fighter he was. Because hmm. you're kind of open. That's what you tune in for. You see, you tune in for to see him go and it will live be the time and he's kind of like playing this sort of pantomime villain that he'll never get done yeah I mean Logan Paul had had two previous fights and one was a draw and one was a loss both mm. against a FIFA YouTuber if you're the greatest of all time you should be beating this opponent with relative ease yeah. you shouldn't be going the distance with him it's embarrassing professional boxing has finally been legalised in Cuba great news Fantastic news, Rob. The Cubans have long suffered uh, the laws of their government in which they are not allowed to turn professional. They want them to stay in the amateur game so they can try and win gold medals for the country. Some of the braver fighters have tried to defect from the country and move to America, the likes of Luis Ortiz, Guillermo Rigondeau, Frank Sanchez, etc., to try and pursue a better life for their families. Now, they can stay in their native homeland and still win world titles. What I will say is this, Rob. Now the Cubans have been let loose on the world, we're in trouble. Because they're very, very good, very, very skillful, and very, very hard to beat. So, do you think Cuba might be the next big thing in professional boxing? Do you think they could be the, uh, you know, the the next? We may, may find a, a heavyweight Cuban to take on Tyson Fury. Well, we will. I mean, Frank Sanchez is very good at the moment. A Cuban. I mean, Luis Ortiz made the top ten, and had he been a little bit younger when he fought Deontay Wilder, he could have beaten him. I mean, he pushed him close at the age of about forty-five. So. To put it in perspective, that's all we've had. A few Cubans taking the risk of defecting and coming over. 
now that they're allowed to do it, we're in trouble. And yes, there could well be a Cuban sensation who beats the likes of Tyson Fury and Usyk and Wilder and Joshua and Ruiz and White and the like. The W the WB have organised a huge fight between Lee Wood and Leo Santa Cruz. Talk us through that. Yeah, people have been frustrated about this one because Leo Santa Cruz hasn't defended his WBA featherweight title in years. Uh, so really should have been stripped. Lee Ward for his victories against Zucan and Michael Conlon should have already been upgraded to the super champion. Alas, it didn't happen, but now it seems to be on the right track. Lee Ward, Santa Cruz, and imagine that'll be heading to Las Vegas. And at this stage of his career, Santa Cruz is that little bit older, that little bit more vulnerable. And who knows, maybe Lee Ward can continue this fairy tale run and get a victory there. Yeah, final boxing question. Lee Selby has retired from boxing. A great fighter in his prime, James. An exceptional fighter, an IBF world champion, a British champion, a Commonwealth champion, a European champion, a box of tricks in his prime. The only regret I have now for Selby is that when he was world champion, I think he made about five or six defences, is that he didn't get the big fight straight away because he was a beautiful boxer at featherweight. And then he outgrew the weight and it was so detrimental getting down that it took something out of his performance. That night he beat Gradovich for the title. He could have beat anyone in the world that night. And it'll always be a shame that he didn't get that opportunity. Because unless you're a Tyson Fury or a Floyd Mayweather or somebody of that calibre, your window for competing at the top, top level is very short. And Lee Selby didn't get to capitalise on that window. Let's talk UFC now, James. UFC 273 delivered in spectacular fashion with three incredible fights. How did the main event go? main event was an absolute clinic. And Alexander Volkanovsky producing a tremendous showing in Florida uh, to dismantle the Korean zombie, as he's known in the trade. A great performance, beautiful kicks, beautiful punches, beautiful grappling transitions. And for me, one of the pound for pound best in the sport. Talk us through the... Amazing co-main event. Terrific co-main. Aljamain Sterling versus Petian. The rematch, the battle of the Jamaican and the battle of the Russian. A terrific, terrific fight. Going into this one, a lot of a grudge. Aljamain Sterling came in as the reigning champion. He'd taken the belt off Yan in the previous fight. A fight that Yan was dominating. Absolutely dismantling his opponent, pillar to post, and then committed an atrocity of an illegal knee and end up losing via disqualification. This had people calling Sterling a paper champion. This is something that the full master wanted to get rid of. He wanted to lose that mantle. And Yan wanted to regain the title, which he felt he unfairly lost. So a lot of ag going into this one. First round, relatively tough to call. I gave it to Yan. And then Sterling's grappling prize came to show. He dominated his performance on the ground for rounds two and three. I thought they were candidates, both of them, for 10-8 rounds. Yang came back in the fourth and fifth to win the rounds. Ultimately, the grappling played to evidence, and Sterling got the win. Yeah, final UFC question. There's another great battle as an upcoming star proved he was just as good as people say he is. Can's that shimmy ever been in my monster? We hear all these rumours about him, these bats slid and beating great light heavyweight contenders in his native Sweden. He's now proved that he's just as good as people say he is. He had a terrific round against Gilbert Burns, who, let's not forget, a number two ranked contender. To jump from 11 to 2 in the UFC is a humongous leap. So the fact that he was able to do it is so impressive. It, it, it truly is. Burns showing all the heart, all the courage, winning that second round, dropping Shimir. Shimir dropping Burns in the first. It was that kind of fight. 
where any second it looked like one of these two men was going to have the light shit off. They ultimately went the distance. Shimiev nicked it by the skin of the teeth, but a great fight and one that both men can be proud of. And now Shimiev lightly moves on to a world title shot. And we're going to be looking forward to it on the Sports Zone and talking about it on the show, James. Let's talk football now. We'll start with Manchester United. They were away at Everton and lost 1-0. Ralph's men struggling. It was pitiful, wasn't it? I mean, I know we dominated possession, but four shots on target, never really looking like scoring, not good enough. And the attitude of the squad, I thought, was pathetic. Cristiano Ronaldo, as far as I'm concerned, I'll call him an absolute disgrace. Uh, slapping a 14-year-old autistic boy's phone out of his hand and smashing it, leaving a massive bruise on the lad's phone. Uh, the footage shows that he does nothing wrong and pretty disgusting for Ronaldo. Yeah, obviously frustrations boil over. You've just gotten beat uh, 1-0. You've not played very well. Fans do sometimes get a bit close when you're walking off the field. I can understand why he reacted like that, but he is Cristiano Ronaldo, and I'm, I'm going to assume he's had a lot worse in his career, you know, in uh, in, it, in Spain and in Italy. So I think it was a bit of an overreaction. Uh, I think he's apologised for his actions, James, and he's, he's asked the Everton supporter if he, can, if he wants to come to Old Trafford uh, and watch him play. I think, um, obviously, he's in enough trouble as he is. I don't think we need to punish him anymore, James. But um, I'm sure it'll be something that, that both Ronaldo and the, the, the child will be taken from and hopefully better behaviour next time. Well, as you say there, Rob, uh, it is punishment enough going to Old Trafford. <laughs> Never mind that being some sort of reward. If anything, Ronaldo's putting the nail in the coffin, isn't he? <laughs> but in all seriousness, is that enough? It's easy for Manchester United to throw a free ticket at someone. They've got 78,000 of them, or however many there is. Should they be going an extra mile? Because for me, it just feels like saving face, this. I think it's a public relations uh, issue here, James. They Obviously, they want to keep the brand uh, clean. And if Ronaldo's running around knocking phones out of people's hands it's it's not a good message to be sent out to all the sponsors and stuff so i'm sure i'm sure discussions will be taking place behind the scenes to see if they can smooth this over it's not good at all and, and we'll get probably a bit back onto manchester in a second but i just want to caveat over to how a footballer should act because we hold these people in such high regard, don't we? They're heroes, even long after they retired and move on. I mean, Ronaldo remained a Manchester United hero for over a decade after leaving the club. Hmm. But Sammy Hippier, a massive, massive legend at Liverpool, he was on holiday recently in Norway, went into a restaurant and spotted a Norwegian fan wearing a shirt with his name on the back. <laughs> he went to the bar, asked if he could bring the man his next order over. So this bemused fan had Sammy Hippier as his waiter for the night. Wow. The restaurant applauded. An amazing moment. And as footballers, giving fans those special moments, it's what the game's all about, not not smashing phones. Yeah, that's what it's like. I said, James, if on the field, you know, it's fans remember big moments, don't they? And I suppose off the field, if a player gets an opportunity to give something back, whether that's through community activities or like Sammy Hippie just sort of comes across uh, an opportunity. I think it's great. It shows that most footballers have hearts of gold. They, they, they want to sort of help. They are, you know, loaded money-wise and they'll, they'll want to help the community and help best he can. And I think, you know, we've got to applaud Sammy yeah, for, for, for that moment of magic and I'm sure it'll live long in the, the fans' memory. 
Most certainly will, Rob. A question for you. Let's say you're sat down, you're enjoying your Indian. I'm not sure what your curry of choice is, but you've got it. It's on the table. You've got your naan bread. You've got your poppadoms. You've got your mango chutneys, your onion, everything. You've got the lot. Hmm. Who would you like to deliver that order? One footballer. One footballer. Uh, Mark Hughes. I think I'd like Mark Hughes to turn up uh, with my karma. Uh, he's, a, he's a good lad, Mark Hughes. Scored lots of important goals for Manchester United. The first real uh, goal-scoring superstar uh, for me. You see all his goals through his United career. And he, and he very rarely scored tap-ins. They were all spectacular efforts, whether they were bicycle kicks, uh, like he scored at, at Man City against City when they lost 5-1, or you know Thunderbolt efforts like against Barcelona in the, in the Cup Winners' Cup, and the Oldham semi-finally FA Cup, where he, he scores a volley uh, to, to save the game and take it to a, to a replay. He was always the big man uh, for the big game and scored the big goal. So if I was uh, getting a, a curry ordered and I'd want him to deliver it because I knew he'd deliver. Beautiful. Beautifully put, Rob. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Mark Hughes would be touched to hear you say that. Yeah. But going back onto Ronaldo just for a split second, because he's been in the news a lot this week and the pressure's mounting on him, despite the fact that he's been going goals for fun. Wayne Rooney on Monday Night Football said that he shouldn't be part of the plans moving forward, that him and Paul Pogba should move on. Hmm. Uh, Ronaldo responded, calling Wayne Rooney jealous. Rooney played it off, talked about how everybody's jealous of Ronaldo because of his six-pack, etc., etc. But does Rooney have a point in terms of the squad moving away from the Portuguese? I think they do, James, because Ronaldo is, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a goal scorer, but he doesn't really give much to the team. And I think with football, you need the whole kind of team to be able to to move and manoeuvre. And if one player isn't able to do that because either they're too old or they're not fit, then, you know, gaps can appear. Teams can play around you. And uh, even though Ronaldo has brought special moments, even this season, he scored important goals and he for United in, in certain contests. Um, I think it's time for him to go and move on because I think Ralph or whoever comes in will need a proper centre-forward who's going to be holding the ball up, be strong and be able a main attacking threat. And for me, Ronaldo isn't. He is a goal scorer, but he, he's not a, a, a target man centre-forward and, and it limits United style when you haven't got one of them. It most certainly does, Rob. And another player who's been getting hit with criticism constantly is Harry Maguire. A few weeks ago, even the England fans turned on him and booed his name, which I didn't particularly like, because when you've got a player like this, you need to try and boost his confidence, not force it further into the ground. But regardless, Nemanja Vidic has spoken out and said that he needs to take some time away. The manager needs to stop playing him in important games and just let him breathe. What do you make of that? Yeah, Harry Maguire. Um, yeah, he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's a warrior of a centre-half, but he has a, he's, he's not blessed with... with pace and uh, as a centre of half you need pace to be able to get yourself out of trouble and he he is caught quite a lot through that and to give him time away uh, kind of just kicks the the can down the road for me um is he good enough to be Manchester United's main um centre half captain for me probably not but it, we are where we are we spent 80 million pounds on him um, so I don't think he's disposable uh, straight away until we find a decent replacement, James. But we'll have to wait and see him, I suppose, for his mental health. He needs to make sure that he's you know, focused and, and ready to give his best. Uh, and hopefully he will be in the next 
four, five, six games to come. We hope so. Our next game against Norwich, on paper, when we should win, uh, they've been pretty awful all season, Norwich, currently in 20th place. But after losing to anything, Everton, anything's possible. Well, yeah, it's, it's a tough gig. Obviously, Manchester United being Manchester United, teams want to come uh, and, and take Manchester United on. And, and players need to realise when you put on that shirt, you're a target and teams will try and beat you. Uh, and I think, obviously, the current run of farm shows that these can't, players can't deal with that pressure. Yeah, it's not ideal at all. But a teams, two teams that are dealing with even more pressure right now, the Manchester City and Liverpool, as they battled to mm. potentially decide the Premier League. Ultimately, the goal's coming in the form of De Bruyne, Jesus uh, for Manchester City, and then, of course, at Yotta and Mane bagging for Liverpool. A 2-2 draw. So City are in an interesting position now. Because if they just win every game, the Premier League's theirs. Liverpool have to make that one point up now. So City are basically just defending. Yeah, but that's the most difficult thing. When when you know you're in front and... and you think, oh, well, we can just hang on for a draw here. Your mentality kind of stops, doesn't it? And that's when you might slip up. And, and that's that's the worry, I think, for Pep and, and, and you know, the players and the fans. With obviously a minute to go, James, you've got to keep winning. If, you, if you're going to, you know, take your foot off the gas, it can, you know, big problems can happen. Yeah, they most certainly can't. It's not good at all. You've got to keep pumping. You've got to keep getting those results. They've got another game, actually, next week in the FA Cup, so that'll be a big one. Quickly looking at Stolford, lost to Port Vale, win against Harrogate, two points away from the playoffs. They're taking on Bristol, who are currently in sixth place. A win puts them in there. It is, it is, James. And, and, you know, Gary Bowyer uh, and, and the boys down there, you know, putting in a fantastic effort, you know, trying the best to, to, to push on. And, you know, the people of Salford are getting behind him as well and, and us on the sports zone as well. We, we obviously want them to, to, to reach the maximum capacity. And, you know, we're hoping that they can, can do that. We're, you know, we're hoping they can pick up a few more wins in the next couple of games against Bristol Rovers and Barra. And, you know, we're hoping we'll be able to celebrate on the sport. So big thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat on Salford City Radio.